The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. And so, turn in your copy of God's Word to Titus chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, just uh, stick up your hand. Uh, Greg has uh, some there. If you forgot your copy or you want an ESV, if you need some sermon notes, he has those there as well. And uh, before I forget, since I forgot it a minute ago, there's those black connection books that are on the ends of the aisles there. If you're closest to it, grab it, fill it out as we're going. There's no rush to it. Just make sure your neighbor gets it. Those allow us to know that you're here and also um, give you an opportunity to share any prayer requests, things that you would like me to partner in prayer for. So fill those out, tear it off, put it on the, behind the flap on the next page, give it to your neighbor. We'll go from there, so. But today, we begin a new series in Titus chapter one. And I'm really excited for this. This has been a book that I've been studying this last year or so, and my prayer is that we work verse by verse through these three chapters, that these few pages in your Bible will be precious pages to you. I pray that over the next few months as uh, we are in these words in your Bible, that that little kind of crease that forms there uh, will become permanent. And so when you set your Bible down, it's one of those natural places that your Bible opens to and you are reminded of the great truths which we find in here. If you have one of those blue Bibles, Titus is on page 579. It is in the New Testament Thereafter, the Timothys, it's considered one of the pastoral epistles. And so as we begin, I want to read just the first four verses for us as we kick it off. Are you ready for it? All right, follow along here as I read. It says this, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is God's word for God's people. Now, as we read a long run-on sentence like that, there is a lot to draw out, right? This, this sentence here, if you were like in junior high English, you would get trashed for. It's a run-on sentence. It's hard to make sense of, which Paul is actually very famous for. But by way of context, as we get into this, Paul was the great missionary and church planter used of God. You're probably familiar with him. He wrote many of the, what we call the epistles or the letters here in our New Testament. All of those uh, goofy sounding names like Galatians and Philippians and Ephesians. Those were letters which this great man of God wrote to these churches and then also to specific people. 
He was used, Paul the apostle, to spread the gospel and make disciples throughout the Greco-Roman world of that first century. And so think just historically, think about the spread of the gospel. They're beginning in Israel and in Jerusalem. Christ born in Bethlehem and then his ministry there. And as he was then uh, lived his life and was killed, crucified, buried, and rose again, then that gospel message spread forth. And God used a man like Paul as a primary person to advance that throughout the Greco-Roman world of those days. He went on many multiple missionary journeys and he didn't go alone, but he often had fellow missionaries with him and younger men that he was discipling and equipping or training up for ministry. Titus was one of those younger men. He was a Greek by birth, not a Jew, and he was a Christian by rebirth. God did a work in his heart to save him. And I would encourage you even this afternoon to do a word search, whether online or in your Bible, of the the name Titus this week. And you will find him spread throughout uh, the other epistles, especially like 2 Corinthians, as Paul refers to him as a traveling companion. It was likely on Paul's second missionary journey that they were traveling through and Paul left Titus on the island of Crete. It's in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, if you're familiar with that geography there, off the coast of Greece, and Paul left Titus there to minister there because it was a strategic outpost for the gospel. It was a strategic outpost for the gospel as people would travel by boat through the Mediterranean Sea. Crete was an island which they would stop at to get supplies, to make repairs on their boat, to do other uh, sort, just kind of the physical things that you would need in a journey. They would stop there. There were many ports. And so it was a strategic location for churches and for the gospel to prevail. As missionaries would come and stop there, they would be among the body of Christ and could worship and could be among the family of God. So Paul left Titus there and then wrote this letter back to him instructing him on how to pastor, on how to, how to lead the church that was there to equip them. This was a very strategic place. It's not unlike New Braunfels as a strategic place for the gospel in the greater hill country, in the greater Austin, San Antonio area, as the epicenter, as a place where people travel through, where we can be a strategic place for the gospel, ascending place, a place of hospitality and rest. And so Paul was writing to Titus to equip him, to equip the churches in Crete, and now us in really three critical areas. And as we go through this book, you're going to see these themes, these critical themes in the book of Titus of the gospel, the gospel of truth, of godliness, living for the Lord, and good works, of being devoted to good deeds. These are the themes of Titus of these three chapters. In chapter one, he's, you're going to see here as we work verse by verse through it, he's going to hone in on or direct his teaching to church leadership. And in chapter two, relationships among believers. 
And in chapter three, relationships that believers have with unbelievers. And so Paul is writing to equip the saints there. He's, call, he's writing to equip this pastor who will equip other pastors and other leaders and other church people. And now the word equip is maybe a term that is unfamiliar to you. It literally just means this. It means to outfit with the resources necessary for a particular purpose. That's what it means to equip. If you're going on a hunting excursion, you need to be equipped. You need to know the destination, the equipment that, is, that you need for it. You need to have the uh, finances necessary. You need the intel on whatever game you are going after. You need to be equipped. If you're planning a wedding, you need to be equipped with all the things necessary, the planning, the preacher, the location, the rings, the flowers, all the stuff that goes on. You need the resources. You need to be outfitted with the resources necessary for a particular purpose. And the book of Titus is God's means for us to equip us in the areas of the gospel, of godliness, and good works. What are the themes of Titus? The gospel, godliness, and good works. As we work through it, you're gonna see these things uh, repeated over and over and over. And now these first four verses that I read for you just a moment ago reveal for us this theme in our equipping. God's strategy for our equipping. God's strategy for our equipping. Right off the bat, Paul is writing and God is teaching us his strategy to equip us in the gospel, in godliness, in good works. It isn't just some willy-nilly thing that is going to happen by itself, but God in his infinite wisdom has a strategy to equip you and I in our love for and our knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in godly living and being devoted to good works. God has a strategy, and it involves, first, learning from our leaders. Learning from our leaders. See, God has given certain men and women the, uh, the responsibility to lead God's people, with various capacities and various roles, and right off the bat, Paul establishes the type of leader that he is. I've already introduced to you just a little bit about who Paul was. He was set aside as a missionary and a church planter, but notice how he introduces himself here in these first few words. He doesn't say, Paul of Tarsus, PhD. He doesn't say, Paul of Tarsus, LPC. He doesn't even say, the Reverend Paul of Tarsus. That was a joke. Um, he's a, it's, it's not a scholar in Hebrew law, Pharisee upon Pharisees. He introduces himself as a slave and a messenger. These are the type of leaders that we learn from. First, we learn from leaders who serve the Lord who serve the Lord, who recognize that they are subservient to the master and the only message that they have has been given to them from the master. See, the, here it's in your translation, it's likely servant. If you have the NASB, it may be bondservant, but the actual better legitimate translation of this word doulos is slave. Paul recognized that he was a slave that he had been bought at a price, that he had been purchased to do his master's work. 
He was a servant or a slave of God under orders, not of his own, to deliver a message that came from Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be an apostle. He was simply a messenger, a delegate, an ambassador, one sent out, appointed, and commissioned from the boss. Doulos is a slave. Apostle is simply that messenger. And in one sense, Paul was a capital A apostle in that he witnessed the, uh, the resurrected Christ like Jesus' disciples. And so he had been set apart. He had been specially appointed for the initial spread of the gospel. Now that official role, that office, that was a foundational office for a limited time that is no longer in existence. We, one of the, the biblical requirements of that is to have seen the resurrected Christ. Well, none of us are thousands of years old, but the sense here is not capital A apostle, but little a apostle, a position of humility and in service. And in one sense, all of us who follow Christ Jesus are exactly that. We are messengers. We are sent out ones. We are ones who've been saved by grace, but not just to go and hide away with this great treasure, this great message that has been given to us, but one that we have been now sent out, appointed by Christ Jesus to proclaim the message of the gospel. These are leaders that we learn from, not ones who are high and mighty on their own credentials, their own achievements, their own degrees, but ones who recognize their place of subservience, of submission to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who Paul was here. And notice how he serves the Lord. Look at the thing. He says he's a servant of God. Look at it with me. And an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why? for the sake of the faith of God's elect. This is the reason why. For, this, uh, for the sake of, you could say, or for the purpose of. See, God's strategy for his children, or the term that he uses here, God's elect, his strategy for us to receive faith and to grow in faith and to keep the faith is through other leaders who serve the Lord. You know, we're not meant to go into the wilderness alone without a guide. God in his kindness have given us people to follow. He has given us leaders to learn from. And this is what is so wonderfully profound about the intentional choice of this word, God's elect, his choice of us. See, apart from God's mercy, all of us would still be stone cold dead in our sin. Apart from God's mercy, all of us would still be hostile towards God, an enemy fighting against his rule. Apart from God's mercy, all of us would be crushed by the weight of our guilt, despairing in the pit under the wrath of God. Apart from God's mercy, all of us would be blind to wisdom and joy, just continually running into walls, banging our head in frustration. But God, rich in mercy, abundant in love, sent Christ to take care of that for us. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And what he also did was he sent someone with a message into your life, pointing out the way of escape. And he continues to put people in our life to lead us into faith, the ones that we can learn from. And why does God do this? Because we deserve it? because we performed our own heart surgery as people who were dead, 
Because we suddenly just changed our mind and decided to join God's side? Because we recognized our blindness and we popped out our eyes and put new ones into our head? Because we worked out for years and finally were able to lift that weight of sin off of our back? Because we suddenly became charming and charmed God, gave him that smile that turned his wrath away? Of course not. We didn't choose God. None of us would and none of us could. So God chose us and gave us faith. God's elect beloved is a term of endearment. It's not a term of entitlement. It's not a term of elitism. It's a term of undeserving affection and mercy that cultivates humility and love back towards God for giving us what we did not deserve. This is what God did. This is why he appoints teachers and messengers, leaders that we learn from for the purpose of our faith. Sending people with the message of the way of escape and eternal life. See, these are leaders that we learn from, those who serve the Lord. But look where he goes next, and their knowledge of the truth. See, God's strategy for our equipping is to learn from leaders who teach the truth. If we are going to grow in the gospel, if we are going to grow in godliness, if we are going to grow in good works, we must know the truth. The truth about God, the truth found in the scriptures. See, leaders that teach have no message other than what is true. See, I don't know about you, but I don't have time for fake news. I don't have time for false gospels. And unfortunately, what passes for biblical truth these days in many of the books that reach bestseller status is far from biblical truth. Those books that make bestsellers, there's some mixture of truth and error, which is really deception of the worst kind. Many preachers that teachers that have large followings, that have YouTube crowds, have massive congregations. They tell a few stories, they tack on a few scriptures, and they call it a message. I don't teach what is true, the knowledge of the truth. This is why God has given us leaders to learn from and the scriptures which we find our message. Beloved, learn from leaders who teach the truth, who start and finish with the scripture where the truth is found. But here's another distinction here. See, he doesn't just leave it at the truth. We're not just like truth, 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 so that way we have all this like biblical information in our heads. Look what he says next. He says, those he's been set apart for the sake of the faith, for their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, which accords with godliness. See, leaders to learn from are not just lecturers, so that way we have big fat heads full of Bible trivia, but are also leaders who advocate application, who advocate application, that are constantly preaching, here is what is true, but we are not just hearers of the word, we are also doers. We are doers of the word. If the Bible says it, we believe it and we do it. You know, you can watch hunting shows all day long. You can read magazines all day long, but until you get in the woods, it's all just useless information. 
You can look at stats all day long, sports things, and until you get on the court, it is all just useless information. See, teaching should drive us to application, to practical use, to daily living. What is true should not just be in one ear and out the other of nice things about the Bible. Okay, that's great, God is holy, but what am I to do about it? Who, who want us to live godly lives, truth which accords to godliness. And so, for example, we just learned about God's election. Just uh, whether you realize it or not, I just taught you what God teaches us about his choice for us. And that's a big debated thing and people get all uptight about you know, this, what's in the Bible, so we have to deal with it. But what practical use does this understanding of God's election of us, what practical use does it have in our life? Let me tell you, unafraid witness unafraid witness. It makes us bold and urgent in our evangelism and our good works. So your true understanding of what God does, how he changes the heart, how he chooses us, makes us unafraid in how we share the gospel. Yes, God does the heart work. God does the heart work. He changes us. He changes us, and we are his messengers, and we don't always know who he is working on. We don't know, and that's okay, and we don't know which seeds will one day bear fruit. We don't know the condition of the soil of somebody's heart, but God does. But God does, and knowing this then motivates us and releases us from those feelings of we have to like manipulate people to follow Jesus. You know, you ever get that like, man, I've got, I just gotta coerce this person. I'm gonna have to like strong arm them, repent and believe, you know, don't go to hell. and we're just released of that obligation. But it also, a a proper biblical understanding, a knowledge of the truth of this foundational doctrine, which accords with godliness, is also the farthest thing from those ideas of the frozen chosen. It keeps us, you know, still like, well, I guess I don't have to. uh, You know, God's gonna do the work, so I can just go on about my life. No, beloved, we're God's means to get the message out. We are his slaves and his messengers to get the message out. And so a proper understanding of this foundational truth of God's salvation and choice of us motivates us to godly living, to unafraid witness, to be about sharing the gospel and being devoted to good works. We who love election should be the most, uh, most involved in mercy ministries around our community because we just never know who God is going to cross our path with, who he may be working on, whose situations in life God is purposely putting in our path that we now get to be the messenger of good news. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. These are leaders that we learn from that motivate us, that get us off our seat, that are preaching for transformation and action of living out our faith in a daily life. But it isn't just there. They teach the truth. Look at what he says, which accords with godliness. And look at the first phrase in verse two, in hope of eternal life. See, leaders to learn from teach the truth they, uh, for present day application, but they also here focus us forward. Leaders to learn from are those who focus us forward in the hope of eternal life. See, if the message is that they are teaching your best life now, your destination is likely hell. 
See, don't get me wrong, life on earth in Christ is full of joy and happiness. It is a great thing. It is not like following Christ. Yes, it is hard, it is difficult, but it comes with immeasurable joy. It comes with immeasurable happiness. But beloved, we have something much better to look forward to. Just like in the songs that we sung, one day when the scrolls of the heavens are rolled back, we have something much better to look forward to where we are free from sin and death, where we are free from sorrow and tears, and we are full of worship and great joy. See, leaders to learn from are keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. They are pointing our eyes ahead. They are drawing our attention to the finish line and away from the heckling of the spectators in the crowd. Leaders to learn from are focusing, are drawing our attention to the safety of the shore ahead and taking our attention away from the, sh the sharks that are circling and the waves that are crashing around us. They are pointing us to this hope that we have, that we are living for, that there is a silver lining and one day, one day, even if it is not in this earth, God will alleviate the things that are painful. See, these are the leaders to learn from. But why do they do these things? Well, we've seen when they've been appointed by God. These type of leaders recognize that they are servants or slaves and messengers. But it is not just a mere calling. It is in their heart. They look at verse 4. They love like family. Leaders to learn from love like family. Jump down there to verse four. We're bookending the passage. We'll come back to the rest of two and three. But jump to verse four and hear the affection in Paul's voice for Titus. He calls him his true child. Now, they weren't biologically related. He was not his biological father. He was his father in the faith, and he calls him this uh, true child in a common faith. <coughs> This common shared faith in Christ Jesus had created a bond deeper, more eternal than a biological dad for his son. It engaged in ministry. They had traveled. They had spent day and night, likely many hardships, many things that they had experienced together. And Paul loved this young man like a son. Biblical leaders have this familial love and devotion for their people. They are connected and accessible, not aloof and distant to a diverse group of people brought together by God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. That's what's captured in those words, grace and peace. It's really to show the kind of the mixed, diverse group of believers that were there on the island of Crete. Peace is a common Jewish greeting. Shalom, you're probably familiar with that. Right? That's a common way to greet one another. And the grace and peace really showed the, the diversity that was there of the Greeks that were a part of this church and the Jewish believers. But there was a love he was praying for an increase of grace and peace in their life. He was writing to them with a message of grace and peace. He was acting as an agent of grace and peace in Titus' life and in the Cretan believers there in the churches and to us today. So God's strategy for our equipping is that we learn from leaders who exemplify these traits. All of us need it. 
all of us, as we are being equipped to grow in our love for the gospel, in our love for godly living, in our devotion for good works, God has strategically put people in our life to learn from who exemplify these traits. And so two bits, two bits here before we move on, two bits that we might put these things into practice. First, prepare yourself for worship in small group. The best way that you can learn from leaders is to come prepared to learn. To come prepared to learn. Prepare your heart as best as you can, as best as you can. Be, pre- prepare yourself uh, with your schedule. Not scheduling things the night before or that day or right immediately after that cause you to run out and miss some of it. They crowd in on, they diminish our ability to learn and to apply the truth. You know, if we're, if we're tired or distracted, we're at a disadvantage. We know that, we're not at our most alert, we're not at our, at, at our best when we are preoccupied, when we're exhausted. But prepare ourselves to worship, to learn, come eager and ready, come expectant, take time to pray, maximize your growth, come in before the service. Prepare your heart, be ready, pray with your spouse as you head to small group. So God, I wanna learn today, I wanna grow in the gospel and in godliness and in good works. And I would say also, just as a way of encouragement, develop a weekly routine. Immerse yourself in Titus these next few months. Immerse yourself in it. Teach your kids and grandkids what you are learning. You will maximize the things that you are learning. You will be equipped. You will have the resources necessary in your own life to grow in the gospel and godliness and in good works as you develop this routine. And then you teach it to others and you review your notes. You complete your small group commitments as you, as you do your own personal study. There are lots of resources out there. Be careful, you know, use the kind of the filter of those that you're learning from, other teachers and those things, but please, yes, learn, do your personal study and develop a weekly routine of more intake, of deeper application, of wider uh, life practical use, of growing in your affection for these things. See, this is God's strategy for our equipping. But secondly, here's our next point in verses two and three, God's strategy for our equipping is that we lean on the Lord that we lean on the Lord. He's put leaders into our life, yes, but what he wants us to do, go back to verse two, he wants us to lean on him, to put our full weight, our full trust on his strong foundation, where we can, without abandon, lean our full weight on the sturdiness of who God is. See, our God is not flimsy. He is not bending. He is not weak. He will not collapse. But our God is a strong God. Our God is a faithful God. Our God is resolute and immovable such that we can lean fully upon him. And what is so interesting here as Paul is writing these words to Titus and thus to the Cretan believers there in that Greco-Roman world when he is describing God, which we're gonna look at here, it is flying in the face of all the the Greco-Roman gods of that day. Because see, beloved, they were conniving gods. They were not always truthful gods. They were uh, really, in many ways, human, fallen, imperfect And so Paul, as he writes to Titus, is putting before him the greatness and the glory of God. 
See, this is why we sing songs on a Sunday morning that are all about the attributes of God. He is our God. That great second song that we sang, go back and look at the lyrics this week. And all that is is just putting before us the attributes of God because if you're like me, you need, we need a pretty constant reminder of who our God is, don't we? He is not the God of this world. He is unlike any other. There is none like him. And so we lean on the Lord. But look what it, what it says. Look, go back to verse two. Which God who never lies? See, we lean on the Lord who is truthful. He is truthful. The Greek gods of mythology, they're tricksters. They're tricksters. They lie, they connive, they con human beings. But not the God of heaven and earth, beloved. This is not our God. What he says is always true and should never be questioned. What God says always comes true and should never be doubted. Hear Proverbs 30. This is such a great verse. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Listen as I read it. It says this, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. See, beloved, we lean on the Lord in the events of our life when we take refuge in him, when we find protection in him, because his word proves true. See, God is a man, he is a God of his word. He does not go back. When he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, do you think he means it? You better believe it. God doesn't lie. God doesn't lie. When he says, in, in Psalm 37, 4, when he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will, he will give you the desires of your heart. God isn't just lying. Those aren't just nice sentimental things that he is saying to get us to follow him and then he can at one point just kind of trick us, be like, oh yeah, about that, I kind of forgot that. That is not our God, beloved. He is a God who is truthful, which we can lean upon. When he says that it will come true, when he says that he will do things, beloved, he will do it. He will do it. We can lean on him. Are you nervous about your work situation? Find refuge in Jesus' word of care to you. He cares more for you than the sparrows, he says in Matthew 6. He cares more for you. Turn there with me, if you will. Matthew 6, verse 25. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. If you want to just listen, you can. But hear these words. This is Jesus speaking. So as he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Something in your life causing you anxiety? Beloved, God will come through. Wait patiently upon him. He is truthful. He does not lie. You can lean your full weight upon his goodness and his mercy. Are you nervous about the direction our government is headed? Are you nervous about the results of last week's election and what the next two years have for us? Have you been watching too much Fox News that has got us into like a frenzy? 
Beloved, lean on the words of Proverbs 21.1 where the, the king's heart are like streams of water. He directs it where it goes. Christ is still on the throne, beloved. It doesn't matter who sits in the House of Representatives. It doesn't matter who is in the Senate. It does not matter who occupies the Oval Office. Our God is king. And his will will be done regardless of who is in that office. And so we need not fear. Yes, we vote. Yes, we are active. Yes, we are, 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 are proactive in those things. But we need not be anxious or worry. We lean on the Lord. Look at where it goes. Look at else. this explanation of who God is. Verse two, which God who never lies, but also he promised before the ages began. We lean on the Lord who is truthful and who is also eternal. See, beloved, our God has no age. He has no beginning nor end. He has no birth nor expiration. He was not issued a birth certificate and he will not be issued a death certificate. Jesus proved that. He has no beginning and end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is outside time and space and he planned and he set into motion his strategy to redeem his elect long before Adam's sin. He planned and he set into motion the events of your life long before you came screaming into this world. Fret not about the season of life where you find yourself in God who promised before the ages began. God who set the events of the world into motion. God who loves you and has ordained and orchestrated the events of your life knows them all. The strong arm upon which you lean and the Lord is attached to the head that sees what is coming and the feet that will take you there. This is our God. He is the eternal one who stands outside of these things seeing what is to come, moving them into motion. And beloved, those feet are not shuffling about aimlessly. Our God is not aimless, but lastly, our God is purposeful. Verse 3, in all that he does. He is purposeful. See, nothing is random or rogue. See, look at it. He says, at the proper time, at exactly the right time, God did all that he was going to do. At the exact right time in human history, Christ came to live his life and die the death that we deserved to die. At the exact right time, Today would not have been the right time. There, the first uh, part of, uh, at the, the turn of the, the century, from B.C. to A.D., at that time in human history was the right time that Christ came. At the exact right time, he sent a messenger into your life with the gospel and saved you. Not too soon and not too late. The years before you came to Christ were not wasted. At the exact right time, God knew you born you in the city that God chose. No, it's fun to consider maybe what other eras we live in. It was the exact right time that God put you in, your, in the situations in your life. He put you in the city which you were born and he moved you here to New Braunfels, the surrounding area. God was purposeful in all he did. It's the exact right time. At the proper time, he manifested his word, it said. He manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by command of God our Savior. What Paul is saying here is he's like, God put, 
God sent Christ at the right time. He sent me at the exact right time. He sent you, Titus, to, at the exact right time. He saved the Cretan believers that would go there, that would be assembling into churches. He did all of that. He is purposeful in what he does. The exact right time you were saved. Exact right time he did all of these things. We need not wonder about the circumstances in our lives, about the whys, about the whens of the things that are happening. Rather, we can embrace with expectancy. We can embrace with expectancy knowing that God has a purpose for the events that you find in your life. The job situation, the family situation, the financial situation, the, the relationship things, all the school situations, all of these events are a purpose. God has put you here and he is equipping you. He has a strategy to give purpose to your life that the gospel would have a very clear and practical focus in your life. He has equipped you to live a godly life in the midst of all of those circumstances. He has a strategy for teaching you how to be devoted to good works in the midst of those things. He's put leaders and teachers and influencers, people in your life for a reason. And so, we don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. This is why we can lean on him with our full weight, knowing that God is at work. And so the leaders, the circumstances that are in your life, as imperfect as they are, that God has strategically placed them there by our perfect God. You and I, we're here at Redemption. We're in this book, in this season, for a reason. It's no accident. It's no accident. It's no accident that I was sick last week and we didn't start this last week. It's no accident that you're here and hearing these verses today. It's got part of God's strategy for your life and my life. That's right. And I'm really excited. I'm, I'm still feeling a little under the weather, so maybe my passion isn't coming out, but I am really excited. <laughs> I, am, I am thrilled to be in this book with you over the next six weeks or so. And what God is going to do in and through us with his powerful word here he has a strategy. He has a purpose. He has a plan. Are you ready to see what it is? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Let's pray now. God in heaven, we love you. We love you for who you are. And so just as these verses talk about.